My friends, um, today, today I was prepared to begin a new sermon series with you on the kingdom parables of Matthew. You probably picked that up if you paid attention at all to the front of your bulletin. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at these particular kingdom parables that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 13. That was what I was prepared to start today. However, as I was finishing my first draft of that message on Thursday evening, taking in the chaos and the agony that descended on Dallas, Texas, still reeling in many ways in the aftermath of the terrible tragedy and great injustices of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and St. Paul, Minnesota, I found myself unable to press forward with that sermon. That message would have to be for another time. I, uh, I spent, I've spent a lot of time in prayer and reflection over the last few days, soul-searching and honestly, honestly seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I became convinced that God had a different sermon for me to deliver today. If you haven't been with us, or maybe you were in and out, for the last several weeks in our previous sermon series on the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I put before you a specific application of how to live out John's repeated call to walk in truth and love, to walk in truth and love before God and before one another. My encouragement to you was to look to Christ, to look at and listen to Jesus, to pay attention to how Jesus lived in relationship to and representing his Father, as well as how Jesus engaged and interacted with others. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the continued practice of putting on the character of Christ, thinking, speaking, and acting like Jesus, we can walk in truth and love with each other and become who we were created to be, the very kind of people Jesus gave his life for us to become. As I continued to watch and listen as the events of this past week unfolded within our nation, and as I considered how in many ways these events did not happen in isolation, that they are sadly becoming a growing trend within our country, I realized I needed to directly apply what I've recently taught through God's word to what is happening right now. I needed to provide us with some idea, some picture of what it looks like to walk in truth and love, to put on the character of Christ in the midst of all this madness and pain. We can talk about generalities, but today we are going to talk about specifics. And if I may, more than this, for me personally, I can't speak for you, but for myself, I... I found myself overwhelmed. I found myself overwhelmed by the last few days. I have struggled to articulate all that I am feeling as this seems to come one tragedy on top of another. And in that prayer, in that soul searching that I mentioned a moment ago, all I find, found I could do is return to the only word I believe. The only word that I know is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And that's the word made flesh. That is the word of Jesus Christ. And so I, I, I want to prepare you. What I share with you today is raw. And it's not as polished as a sermon might be. I have given this a lot of thought and prayer, as I mentioned, and I've put work into this. But it is not what I would normally bring before you. And so I ask for your indulgence, your grace. What I offer you today is the outcome of my extended observations of Jesus, my conversations with him on my knees. Where do we begin? Where do we begin in the aftermath of all that has happened? Where do we begin in the thick of all that keeps taking place in our nation? I found that one particular scripture kept coming to mind, and I'm going to mention several scriptures throughout this sermon, but if you want a specific scripture that this is grounded in, then I would ask you, if, you're, if you have a Bible, want to take the Bible that's there, to turn to Matthew chapter 23. This is the scripture that God put on my heart. Matthew chapter 23, you're going to look at verse 37. And as you're going there, I found myself... Having this scripture come to mind, this moment, these words, and I found that what Matthew records and Luke records as well transposed on what was happening before me on Thursday night. And if you have it open, it's that moment when Jesus came to the city, the city of God. And it reads, Jesus said, Matthew records, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, but I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is our text for today. There are others I will point to, but this is the one I kept coming back to because I just, I was drawn to this and what struck me is in this moment as Jesus beheld Jerusalem, the city set on a hill, the city of God's promise, the city of God's chosen, Jesus acknowledged the sins of the people and mourned their rebellion and their violence. He lamented the situation before him and longed for renewal, that there had been another way for the people. Jesus grieves in this moment. His heart breaks for all the people, the persecutors and the victims. And so my first word to you today is we too, like Jesus, must begin with lament. We must begin and not bypass the importance the need to mourn as a nation right now. We need to start by refusing to look away, by, not, by refusing to pretend that nothing is really happening. We need to begin by no longer abiding, by distracting ourselves with something else or telling ourselves all this has nothing to do with us. Lament, mourning, is about the acknowledgement that something has happened something that affects us all, something which we must all carry together. A couple of years ago, we did a sermon series on the Psalms. You might remember it was in the summertime, in fact, and there were some people who were very pleased with this and others that were not as impressed. And I had a couple of conversations and people said something like this, well, I'm fine if we're in the Psalms as long as we don't do those depressing ones. <laughs> you mean the Psalms of lament? 
And that's exactly what they meant. We don't like to lament. But it's times like these when psalms like that suddenly speak and give words. Words that are beyond our ability to speak. We need to lament. We need to start there, not to bypass mourning together. My friends, before the all-too-familiar pictures of orphan children and newly made widows, we must lament their cries and their tears. We must mourn with them in their loss. Together, we have to acknowledge the revelation of the scriptures, our scriptures, that everyone is a child of God, created in the image of the Father, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and passionately sought by the Holy Spirit. And if this is true, if this is what our scriptures reveal as true, we have to stand together and lament and say that the color of one's skin should not determine one's treatment by others. The color of one's skin should not determine whether or not one's life matters. The color of one's skin must not deny another person justice or life at the hands of those who are sworn to ensure both. God's word also tells us to honor and respect and submit to governing authorities. We can And we should acknowledge and hold accountable those who abuse their authority, as well as call out for reform, the reform of systemic bias, failure and corruption within governing authorities. However, we should not, we must not taunt or disrespect those who honestly and without prejudice put their life on the line for all of us. We must not call for violence threaten or take the lives of those who have answered the call and made the sacrifice to protect and serve us. My friends, before the tragic irony, and it is a tragic irony, of police officers being literally under fire while safeguarding a rally speaking out against law enforcement practices, of being shot and killed while protecting the very people who were protesting them, We must lament. We must mourn the fall of each and every officer in the line of duty. We must mourn with the families of the wounded and the fallen. Lamenting, mourning, is about acknowledging what has happened. But it's also about acknowledging what we are feeling. What are you feeling these days? Have you even stopped to ask, what are you feeling these days? Are you angry? Are you scared? Are you confused? Are you defensive? Are you apathetic? To walk in the truth of Christ, we have to start by being truthful about what is going on out there, but we also need to be truthful about what is going on in here. Beloved, we mourn rightly. We mourn rightly when our spirit is poor, devoid of pride or defensiveness, when we don't attempt to justify or rationalize what happened. You see, that's the thing. The brokenness of lament puts us in an awkward and uncomfortable place. It puts us in a place beyond words, without ideas. In other words, it puts us out of control, and we don't like that place. And that's why many of us don't go there. 
We don't go there whether we ignore what's out there or we don't go there whether we deny what's going on in here. We don't like to not be in control. And so rather than sit in silence and mourn, we try to come up with answers. We try to fix things. We try to fill the silence with our opinions by prescribing solutions. We attempt to rush through the season of mourning by dictating a plan of action. My friends, mourning rightly is not about lifting ourselves back up or telling someone else to get over it or to look on the bright side of life. Mourning is confronting our limitations, the end of us, what we can do, what we think, and pursuing God, being still and asking our Father for wisdom and guidance. In other words, what I am saying to you this morning is we must let our mourning lead to our confession. Our confession. When we truly mourn, when we step into the mess around us rather than walk around it, when we actually live in rather than avoid the tension of this world, when, when we do that, we confront our own sin in the sins of others and the sins done unto others. We become painfully and profoundly aware of our need for redemption. My friends, confession isn't about blaming the victim or pointing the finger at the other person. Confession isn't about being defensive or arguing about whose fault it is. Confession is recognizing there's enough blame to go around. Confession, rather than trying to pin more responsibility on the other person, is owning that I need to accept responsibility for myself. Jesus, again, looking to Christ, following Christ, Jesus put it this way, deal with the log in your own eye first before you start announcing the specks in the other person's line of sight. Jesus put it another way when he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Otherwise, put down what you are prepared to launch, to throw at the other person, and go confront your own culpability. Beloved, it's time. It's time. It's time for us to confess the cycle of racism and prejudice haunting not just branches of law enforcement, but the fabric of our nation as a whole. The disproportionate number of people of color who are unjustly treated as well as unnecessarily and tragically losing their lives is undeniable. And to nitpick individual situations or to suggest systemic racism doesn't exist is to ignore the broader and more visible trend of what is happening to our neighbors all over this nation. The fact that the numbers of these kinds of incidents continues to escalate and that the outcomes are becoming worse clearly points to a growing and monumental reality that cannot be ignored. And here's the thing. Systemic racism and prejudice exist because sin is alive and well in this world. Systemic racism doesn't begin out there. Once again, it begins in here. It begins the minute our neighbor becomes a stranger or worse, an enemy. It begins the minute we marginalize the humanity of another person, their color, their gender, their creed, their ethnicity. And make no mistake, 
such marginality, such bias, such prejudice begins, and you're not going to like this. Such bias, such prejudice, such marginality begins with what we say. With what we say through the jokes we tell and, yes, the jokes we laugh at. It begins at the humor we tolerate, the generalizations we make, the stereotypes we buy into, and the sins we wink at and ignore. Every wink, every nod waters the seeds of prejudice and gives rise to the harvest of hate within us. And as we've seen multiple times, my God, too many times, when such hatred, such sin becomes full-grown, it produces death. Just ask Cain. Just ask Cain as he stood over the dead body of his brother Abel. Remember Cain when he was confronted by God, how he not only denied his wrongdoing, but added insult to injury by adding, am I my brother's keeper? Beloved, we need to confess that we are our brothers and our sister's keepers. We are our brothers and our sister's keepers, black or blue, gay or straight, Democrat or Republican. Jesus did not say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus said, love your neighbor and your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus didn't just give us these words as a powerful saying or a philosophy to live by. Jesus put these words, his words, into action and gave us an example to follow. He gave us an example to follow by willingly grasping the injustice of the hard wood of the cross, by bearing the shame of our prejudice and violence against each other, because he took up our pain and bore our suffering, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, because he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, because he gave all of himself so that we might truly live by his wounds, we are healed. Through his sacrifice, what was once impossible is now possible. We can live together. We can love each other. We can walk together in peace. This is our hope. It's our only hope. This is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did not go to the cross for those who welcomed him, for those who agreed with him, or those who accepted him. No, while we were all yet still sinners, Jesus gave his life for us, all of us. In this way, Jesus is not only our model for how to lament and mourn, he is our means to overcome the sin over which we mourn. And we overcome by dying to ourselves and living for God by giving ourselves to each other. We should mourn. We must confess and we can change. Repentance is now what I'm talking about. Repentance, going in a different direction. Change means living our lives differently, shifting how we think, how we talk, how we act. Repentance is not so much about changing ourselves as being changed by God. 
through the Holy Spirit, when we reach the end of ourselves, once again, there is Jesus showing us, leading us, carrying us another way. Jesus came. Jesus calls us to follow him, to reconsider, to relearn our living patterns and our relational choices. The Spirit prompts, the Spirit leads, and we yield, we follow. Where is the Spirit leading us right now? My friends, the Spirit is continuing to lead us in the same place, in the same direction. Even though our circumstances may have changed, even though the specifics of what we're talking about may be different, the Spirit continues to lead us in the same place and in the same direction as the Spirit always does, to walk in truth and love. We need to repent of buying into the polarities of the Spirit of this world. We need to repent of the argument that we're either for black people or we're for the police. We can, we should, and we must be for both. Pro-black and pro-police. We must learn and practice by the Holy Spirit's leading a kingdom perspective where we no longer see the other person as a stranger or our enemy, but rather as our neighbor our brother and sister, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. We must remember and remind ourselves of the testimony of the scriptures, our scriptures, Ephesians 6, that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. The enemies we face are not the person on the other side of the street, the other side of the aisle, or the other side of the neighborhood. The only enemies we face are the power of sin, the power of evil, and the power of death. And beloved, those powers, while still active and real, while still able to wreak havoc and chaos, hear me, they are fighting a losing battle. Their time is short and their end is certain. We are people of the cross. We do not deny the violence and hate that condemned Jesus to die, but we are also people of the resurrection. And we proclaim sin, evil, and death did their worst, but they couldn't keep a good man down. They don't get the last word, and it shall be on earth as it is in heaven. Our repentance is born of the hope that Jesus has begun a new work in us and in our world. Jesus has ushered in a new kingdom that will come, that is coming, slowly but surely, steady and certain. God's will shall be done and the very gates of hell, of prejudice, bigotry, racism, hatred, murder, and injustice shall not prevail against it. All that is intended for evil, God will use for good. My friends, repentance is walking in these truths. It is declaring the truth that is the gospel. Repentance is declaring what is true, what is gospel, and calling out what is false. Calling out the lies of this world. But repentance is also walking in love. Not just speaking peace and justice, but practicing it. We walk in love. We practice peace and justice by listening. Again, we mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep, regardless of whether we agree with them. But it starts by just being present, not speaking, just being there. 
And when we do that, when we're just there in solidarity, in advocacy with the other person, this fosters the next step of love, which is listening. I look around this room and I don't have to know all of you to know this. We all have our opinions. We all have our opinions. We all have our beliefs. We all have our take on things. Especially in terms of what is going right on right now in terms of our brothers and sisters of color. Especially in terms of the pressure our men and women in blue are under. We all have our opinions, our beliefs, and our take on things. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you asked someone of color about their experience, their story, their perspective? I think I'm particularly passionate about this because some of you may know, others don't, that one of my internships to become a pastor was at an African-American church in Inglewood, Angeles Mesa, and it had a profound shift on my life. And I went in so earnest. I went in so, I thought, you know, just aware of a different context in which I was serving. And, 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 and I remember the day, about a month in, when one of the, a gentleman, <laughs> more, than, <laughs> more than double my age, literally said to me, stop talking, shut up. <laughs> and I, from the most noble of intentions, the, the most, I mean, heartfelt place, I was speaking, and I, I will confess, I was offended, I was a little bit ticked off. You know, I am trying to identify and articulate, I understand, and you just told me to shut up. And this man, who's more than double my age, said very gently but firmly, you don't know what you're talking about. You've been in this community for a month. I've lived here. I've walked these streets. I've been in this neighborhood all my life. And when I got over my wounded pride, when I got over my damaged ego, and I actually just listened, my God, I realized not only how much I didn't know, I realized how much I really couldn't understand how much I couldn't understand because it's not my experience, because it's not where I walk. And no matter how much I tried, I'm not going to be able to fully understand. I can only listen. I can only listen and respect that difference. And I, I have a, a great friend who's a pastor. We were in ministry. We were going towards ordination together. And the other internship I did was at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Uh, he's a great friend, Chuck Hunt. I hope to have him preach here uh, some Sunday when he's, when he's available. But we would ride the train every day into Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And, and this was in the aftermath of my experience at Angeles Mesa. He's black, if you didn't pick that up. Um, and I had learned... To, to listen and, I, and to ask. And so I asked him. And, and you know the thing is, we, were re we, are, we are really good friends. We were really good friends. He wasn't as open as talking about it as much as the gentleman at the church that I was serving at. But when I, when he really, when, you know, I, I really pressed and said, I, I really want to know. And he opened up. Here was the thing that, that blew my mind. We are good friends. We, I, I knew him. But I, I realized as he spoke, uh, he's married to a, a white woman. They have a beautiful daughter that as much as I knew him, there was so much I didn't know. So much, what I, I realized my, my, my just, and it wasn't conscious, I just it sort of took my life and figured that was his life. My experience and that was his experience. You know, I just assumed everything was the same. But when I actually listened, I realized that while we are the same, our experiences are not always the same. My friends, when's the last time you 
in the midst of all your opinions, in the midst of all of your take on things, you ask someone of color about their experience, their story, their perspective. When's the last time you thanked an officer and asked them to share what it's like for them to do what they do, to face what they encounter, to carry the burden that they do. Again, I've had been blessed to serve at many churches, and early on, uh, I've encountered many officers at the churches that, I, that have been a part of the community or the congregation that I'm at, and I had one in particular and we would, who came up, and our church, as we do, would pray for the local firemen and women and police officers, police officers, men and women, and one day, uh, one of the individuals in our congregation who was a police officer came and said, you know, I really appreciate the prayers, but you know what I'd appreciate more? I'd appreciate more if you're willing to get in my car and ride along with me and see what it's like. And I'm going to tell you something. This is going to make me sound like a complete idiot. I was like, oh, my gosh, police car. I am so, yes, yes, let's go. All right. I was so, oh, my, this, oh, this is, you know, I'm so glad I'm a pastor. Woo, okay. Until I showed up and he put a bulletproof vest on me. And you know what? I wasn't that excited to get in that car. And suddenly I rode along and I watched, and I listened, and I realized, and I'm, there's a part of, there's a little bit of shame in admitting this, and I said this to him, thank God I am not called to do that. Thank God you are. My friends, when's the last time you really listened? Not just heard, but really listened to someone on the other end of your opinion to someone on the other end of your beliefs, to someone on the other end of your take on an issue. My friends, we need to repent of taking the blessings of our nation for granted, and I think we are. We need to repent of taking the blessings of our nation for granted. We must learn to value the socio-political freedom of our democracy, that we have the freedom to disagree, to discuss, and to debate, and yet reach consensus that reflects the will of the majority while respecting and protecting those in the minority. We need to encourage and I'm talking about us, followers of Christ. We need to encourage and promote civil political discourse rather than divisive and partisan sniping. Our diversity as a nation is what makes us strong. It's not that we need to stop talking to each other. It's we need to start listening to each other. Ours is a representative democracy. It's not the will of whatever party wields the most power. It's not. If you're not for us, you're against us. It is. We are all in this together as Americans. But at the same time, we need to repent of looking for salvation in our politics or in our government. I really hope you all heard me right now. We need to repent of looking for salvation in our politics or in our government. Do not misunderstand me. Justice must be pursued. Laws must be upheld. Or if they are flawed, they must be changed. The government ought to represent and protect all persons. But beloved, the issues we are facing, systemic racism, our inherent tendency towards retribution and violence, these are problems that run much deeper than the state. They cannot be legislated away. They can only be healed. They can only be rebuked by the truth and love of the gospel. We talk about this a lot, and I don't want to go too far on this, but there is a separation of church and state here. 
But in order for that separation between church and state to be real, the church needs to step up and be the church. Here's the thing. In a time of national disunity is our opportunity to the glory of God, not pride in ourselves, but to the glory of God to demonstrate the unity of the body of Christ. But this means we have to get past our own infighting and prejudices. We can't further the light of God's equity, his love and justice in the world if we're still wrestling over who is the keeper of the flame of doctrine, tradition, and practice within the church. My friends, at a time when fear is overwhelming the communities of our nation, we have to answer the call to be witnesses to the faith of Jesus Christ. To be strong and courageous rather than scared and cynical. Not by speaking words of doom and gloom, but speaking and showing acts of hope and grace. We are to become, we are to become more than an informational, inspirational weekly gathering. This is great, but this is not the church. Our words and our witness need to be 24-7 beyond these walls, beyond this time, beyond our programs. They need to be expressed in the actuality of our homes, our neighborhoods, and our workplaces. Because the thing is, faith like fear is contagious. Faith like fear is contagious. But here's the question, which one are you spreading? Which one are you spreading? Being a Christian is a label. Following Christ is a lifestyle choice. The very fabric of our nation may be falling apart. Yes, I know. The very fabric of our nation may be falling apart. Let's say it out loud. The very fabric of our nation may be falling apart. But where does our hope come from? Governments and nations that rise and fall or the kingdom of God, which is everlasting to everlasting. My friends, we have been given the keys to the kingdom. I'm not making this up. These are not my words. This is Jesus. We have been given the keys to the kingdom. It's time to unlock the doors. It's time to unlock the doors through persistent prayers of intercession. And it's time to unlock the doors through works of healing and compassion. And what I just said, please don't misunderstand this. When I say persistent prayers of intercession and works of healing and compassion, what I mean is not just for ourselves and our community. It's great. We should pray for each other. We should intercede for each other. We should care for each other. But Jesus said, that's just the starting point. It's easy to love and care and pray for the the people you love. Our call, our goal, is to have the same intensity, the same vigilance, the same energy to those who do not know, who have not heard, whom we don't know. When we pray for them, when we intercede for them, when we extend healing and love and grace and forgiveness to them, we are the church. And we are pointing to the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Speaking of parables, the one that kept coming to my mind is not not the ones in Matthew 13, but the one that Jesus told when someone asked, trying to dodge the issue, who is my neighbor? You remember that parable? You remember that story? You're thinking about it right now? You're playing it in your mind? Good. 
Because Jesus told this story answering the question to who is my neighbor. And if you're remembering it, in that story, Jesus made it clear. Those who just walked on by and ignored the person unjustly treated, lying half dead in the street, were living outside of the law. They were living outside the will of God for each and every one of us. That law, as Jesus summarized it, to love God and to love all persons as we love ourselves. My friends... My brothers and sisters, we cannot, we must not, we say we are past such concerns or conversations that are being raised right now while our neighbors are still hurting, still waiting for relief, still dying in the streets. And I'm speaking probably more to the younger people in this room Posting your solidarity, posting your advocacy on social media is all well and good. But I'm talking about flesh and blood, face-to-face encounters and interactions. Posts in virtual reality are good for something, but it's making a difference in the real world that engages the kingdom. My friends, rather than deny the reality of discrimination, prejudice, and racism, let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus by beginning to be the neighbors we are called to be by Jesus, by acknowledging the voices of our brothers and sisters of all colors, by standing with them and for them in their desire for reconciliation, justice, and peace. Let us follow Jesus in respecting and encouraging those brothers and sisters who willingly put themselves on the line to protect and serve the interests of peace and justice for all. And let us together, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, continue to follow Jesus in overcoming evil with good, in walking in truth and love. Don't lose heart. Let us not lose heart But let us witness to the hope of the dawn of a day when our mourning shall be interrupted not by tragedy, but by a trumpet. And the cycle of sin will be broken and the clouds will reveal our Savior. And we will say with one voice, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.